you know, when I was working through this message, I, I was struck. I'll just give you a little history quickly. Uh, I don't know, three, four months ago, I, I was teaching a class. And my father-in-law was here. So obviously, if you know my father-in-law, he's got something to say. And uh, always. And, uh, and I was teaching, and uh, there was this, this brief mention of, of this little scripture. And he instantly raises his hand, completely goes off topic for a moment. And uh, yeah, all you know my father-in-law, I love him. He is such a good man. And he quoted this scripture. And it just, man, I couldn't let it go. And it's, it's a one-word or one-sentence scripture. And, and, I, and I just kept thinking, okay, God, what are you doing with this? And, and, um, and, and you know, as we pastors, as leadership, each one of you is, is on our hearts every day. I'm just being honest with you guys. You guys, we think about you. We pray for you. We're, we, we, we cry over the challenges that you face. We, cha- we cry over choices made not made, and this scripture spoke directly to me, and so I kind of put it in my back pocket, right, because, um, uh, you know, we do sermon series here, and, and I love sermon series. I believe they're, they're pointing, and they point us like an arrow towards a goal, and when Aaron and I and, and, uh, were talking about what today would look like, he said, hmm, don't really have a series yet for you to start. You want to uh, just freeform it. And I thought, I got, a, I got one in my back pocket here. And then uh, I began to, to write. And I, I got to tell you, Heidi will tell you, this was probably one of the most challenging messages that I've ever written. It was uh, really, really hard for me. And, uh, and I titled it with Heidi, this Choose This Day. And so, you know, usually I have a lot of lightheartedness. You guys know me. I, I have some good stories. I don't have any stories for you today. I don't have anything because I believe truly in this message and that God has a true word for us um, today. I really do. So let's, uh, let's jump in here. How many of you know that it's easy to love this world that God's created? Man, I'll tell you, God is an amazing creator, isn't he? I mean, his design, the way he built things, the way he thought it out. I'm, I'm, I'm a little envious. I'm going to use the word envious today instead of jealous. Jealous sounds so ugly, but envious makes me sound more intelligent. Of Aaron today as they're driving through the Grand Canyon. Kelton and I got to do that like six years ago. Loved it. It was, it was gorgeous. And I was struck by God's creation and how, you know, just amazing it was. And, and they, even today, I'm amazed at God's creation. As I look out and I see the things that he does. And I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that God made these things. But yet, you know what? Sometimes when we look at what's in front of us, it can cause us to lose sight of what's really in front of us, doesn't it? You guys know what I'm saying? I know it sounds a little confusing. Losing sight of what's in front of us for what's really in front of us. And, and that's really where we're going to go today. And, and I kind of... Maybe simplified it a little bit here. We lose sight of the creator in favor of the creation. Let that ring true in your head a minute. We lose sight of the creator for the sight of the created. In more clear words, if you need it, we value, we love ourselves over God the creator. So, you heard my word of the day today. 
How many of you know that love is a choice? Love is a choice, right? Now, many times we kind of confuse this, that love is a choice. Loving is a choice, right? We, we confuse the way that, that that is. But let me tell you, the Bible tells us that love is a commandment. The Bible will always point us towards love, won't it? But within the love is the choice. The Bible demonstrates this very definition for us in, in our, should be the core of our beliefs and the core of who we are. In John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world, so, excuse me, God loved the world so much. I actually like how that, that's said. Loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Somebody here, just going to stop for a second. Somebody here, and, I, and this is in my notes, so this is not spontaneous because God spoke it in that moment sitting at my desk. Somebody needs to hear this. God chose you. He loves you. You're sitting out there and you're thinking, he, he, nobody loves me. Let me tell you, God chose you. And if he chooses you, he loves you. Because that's the truth of, of love. And we can see it written throughout this verse. Because first, let me just be honest with you. I told you that God chose us. But let me tell you the truth. He didn't have to choose you. We get caught up on that point. Wow, we, John's right, for God so loved the world. You know, we think about the choice, right? He had to choose us. He did not have to choose us. He did not have to choose us. He didn't have to choose to sacrifice his son. But it, that's where that vernacular comes in there so clear to me. It says, for God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. There's choice in that matter. But the second part of that verse that a lot of us forget is that he gave us a choice whether we would respond to the love that he gave by believing in his son. He didn't say you had to. He said for whoever believes in him. Hmm. Love is never forced. It's always chosen. I want you to hear that. Love is never forced. It's always chosen. Choice is the purest form of love. And you're going, what? Yeah, yeah. It is the purest form. Choice is the purest form that we, purest form of love that can be expressed. Because listen, love requires action by the recipient. And there's really only two choices in this. So I want you guys to hear this. You think about, what? only two choices? Yeah, there is. To accept the love that is given and the actions that it brings or to Reject the love and accept the actions that that brings. Notice there's no middle of the fence, is there? It's black or it's white. It's one's way or the other. It's acceptance or rejection. That's the, that's, that's the truth of it. But here, here's the problem. We live in a society, we live in a, in a culture where we struggle with the actions of our choices. 
We want, we want, to, we want others to bear the weight of our choices. Well, it's your fault that I went to hell. Right? My mom and dad didn't love me enough. So I, I'm going to, it's their fault I'm going to hell. Because hmm. we want all of our choices to be void of consequence. Let's be honest. Wouldn't that be the greatest form of choice ever right there? No consequences. When we choose, there's always an action behind it. Today we're going to see, we're going to look at two different ways that we can choose. Choose to love the world or choose to love the Father. And I told you this was all brought on by one scripture. One scripture that has rolled around in my head. And some of you need to hear it today. You've been on the fence. Some of you have been making decisions that, that are not godly. They're leading your life to a place where you don't want it to go. And that's hell. I won't, I won't sugarcoat it this morning. Jesus even said, there will come a day of judgment where he'll say, I knew you not. Based on your choices. Based on the love that you demonstrated for him. Here's the scripture. And it just hit me so hard. It's out of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 10. And it says, Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone on to Thessalonia. Let me just read that to you, because some of you may not hear this. Demas has deserted me. This is Paul speaking to Timothy as he sits in a Roman jail, facing execution. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone on to Thessalonia. Hmm. Well, I want to pray over this message because i got to be honest, it's not my typical message, but it's just one God is just, it's just burning in my heart. And, and, and I want to share it with you today. So, Father, I just thank you for each and every person that's here this morning, God. Lord, I thank you for each person that hears your word today, God. Lord, I pray that you would open their heart to hear the word. Lord God, I pray that it would cause them to, to act, that it would cause them to choose you this morning. Lord, they hear your voice and choose you this morning, Father. Lord, I pray that we would just be ready, ready for the things of you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, anybody know who Demas was? He's an interesting fellow. Because there's not much about him in the Bible. There's not much at all about him in the Bible. He's mentioned three times. All in reference to Paul. All either in the opening or the closing of his letters. But here's what we can tell you about this fella Demas. That's just really caused my heart to hurt. We know that he was a trusted ministry partner of Paul. Paul calls him a co-worker. In Philemon 1.24, he refers to him as a trusted co-worker and fellow believer. Yet we can take from Paul's own words that there's some kind of bond between the two of them. He's a friend of Paul's. He is, he is somebody that he ate with, that he traveled with, 
that he obviously, if we know the history behind 2 Timothy, where, Timothy, where Paul is sitting in a jail waiting execution, this is the time he's going to be executed. He was with him at some point during this. He is Paul's friend. More importantly, though, he was a fellow believer. And the question I want us to ask ourselves today is how do we become, how do we keep from becoming like Demas? How do we keep from loving the world so much that it causes us to choose the world? 2 Timothy 4, 3, and 5, Paul helps us understand a little bit of this. He gives us some definitions to look at, and we're going to keep these in mind today. It says, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to the sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth. So let me, let me help you out with that one. They will choose to reject the truth and chase after myths. You should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid. So this is Paul telling them how, kind of some combat here. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others about the good news and fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. Here's the thing I can tell you about Demas. He didn't look a lot different than any of us. Now, I want you to do me a favor here. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, don't be Demas. Because Demas made some bad choices, didn't he? I got to tell you, as I look out at each and every one of you, that's my prayer. Don't be Demas. Don't be one who makes bad choices. Well, I've rolled this down. I believe God has given me about four things that we can look at here that will help us choose him over the world and how we can know when we are veering off. A lot of times I hear people say that, well, I didn't know. Well, I'm going to help you. We're going to give you some guidelines. And then I'm going to tell you how you can choose how you can choose the Father. Because you're going to hear every one of these points starts with this. We have a choice. You own responsibility in your walk. And you are a consequence of what you choose. Good, eternally, good or bad. Our first point is, we look at Paul, what Paul said, we have this choice. Do we love earthly wisdom or do we love the wisdom of God? Now, that's an interesting point because it says people will reject wholesome and sound teaching when they choose earthly wisdom. Now, one of the few things that happens when we begin to choose the world over God is we begin to reject wisdom. What's the first thing that happens when we choose the world over that? i got to tell you really quickly, people begin to not want to look at their Bible. They begin to pull away from godly counsel. They begin to walk away from opportunities to hear that wisdom. See, because that teaching then 
that once convicted us becomes undesirable in our lives. So if you are going in here and you're saying, man, I don't like what that pastor is saying. That hurts. Might be a good thing. It might be because when we're confronted with sin in our lives instead of conviction, it causes condemnation. That's how we know we're following earthly wisdom. Because godly wisdom brings life and brings conviction because his goal of godly wisdom is always to bring us to his heart. It always causes us to seek after him. Earthly wisdom will always send you in the opposite direction. It will send you the opposite way of God. So many times I hear people, when, we're, when they hear a sermon, they say, well, that, that's, not, that's not for me. Or, or, I just don't like that. Oh, that's the worst one I hate. I hate that. When you tell me, I don't like that. Well, maybe you might want to check what you're choosing at that moment. Because we begin to seek out teaching and wisdom that justifies our actions and excuses our sin over convicting us of our sin. We look for people. We look for books. Let me tell you what James 3, 15, 16 says. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. When we choose ourselves, that's not God's wisdom. Do you guys hear that? Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and self-ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Because wisdom pursued outside of God is always selfish. It's always self-seeking. I like to look at the example of Solomon. The Bible calls Solomon the wisest man ever. God gave him wisdom. But what we find later on in his life, he began to seek earthly wisdom. And he began to become extremely unsatisfied. He began to justify some of his own behaviors. And it gave him this unsatisfiable appetite for himself. How many wives did he have and concubines? Holy cow! 700? Dude. This caused him to have this unsatisfiable appetite. For the things not of God. Begin to pursue it. I mean, if you've got 700 wives and concubines, you definitely haven't got any room for God in there, do you? Can you imagine the honeydew list from there? Man. Because earthly wisdom, when we choose earthly wisdom, it brings disorder to our lives. Because outside of God, outside of His wisdom, we lose purpose. And we lose focus. Big common word this day, and I'm not making fun of it because I honestly believe I probably have a little bit of it, is ADHD, right? That's our big word because everything's going so fast. Everything. We lose order. And that's a lot of what happens with ADHD, right? You lose your order. And, and, and we're beginning to have a society of that because we're choosing outside of God's wisdom. You lose your sense of order because outside of God's wisdom, let me tell you this other thing, there's nothing but chaos. i got to be honest. I dealt with some folks this week, 
and they had some chaos in their life. The world changed a little bit for them. Not a little bit, it changed a ton. They lost somebody really important to them unexpectedly. And I got to be honest with you, that's chaos. And the world would tell you that, oh, that it's just going to go everywhere else. But let me tell you, in Jesus, we know that there is a center and that there's peace and that there's joy. That's not earthly wisdom. But we know there's peace and there's comfort inside of that, inside of him. Let me tell you what some of the things that God's wisdom brings. It's pure and it brings peace and order. James 3.17 says, But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is sincere. God's wisdom is pure, and that means, let's just listen here, that it's free of selfishness and self-seeking. If what you're choosing to seek out as your knowledge base is self-seeking and selfish, i got to tell you, it's not of God. Because God's wisdom is not, is not swayed by the situation. It's not swayed. It's constant. But God's wisdom also brings peace. I thought about Jesus in the boat with the disciples. Conventional wisdom says, start bailing, dude. Somebody put out the lifeboat. Somebody do something. And godly wisdom said, peace, be still. That's different. Because we're not, we're not left with the question then. Or unease, but peace that passes all understanding. Could you imagine the disciples in that boat when the water went? calm there's peace and godly wisdom God's wisdom brings order to chaos it doesn't I want to hear you to hear this so many people get this confused God's wisdom God's love does not exclude us from the trial that's what a lot of you want to hear it excludes me and when I'm not then it's not right but he brings direction and strengthen the middle of it. 1 Corinthians 14, There's a lot of scripture today. I'm not going to lie to you. It says, For God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. As in all the meetings of God's holy people. He's not a God of disorder. When worldly wisdom changes its mind every five seconds. What's the flavor of the day? No, God says there's his wisdom. There is peace. Last thing that Paul tells Timothy is that God's wisdom leads to him and his glory. Oh. See, God's wisdom allows others to see us living in him, or him and living in us. Sometimes when we get outside of academia and we see all of that, there's, there's all of this. It's about me, right? It's about who I am. But godly wisdom always leads us directly to the feet of Jesus. Because that's where our order is at. That's where our order is at. But listen, God's wisdom is not only for our benefit, but always shows his glory. 
In it comes his benefit for us. We're wise beyond what we can handle. We have calm in the middle of a storm. We have peace where there's, where there's upheaval. We have joy where there's sorrow. But it always leads people to see him in us. Always. We have a choice. We can love our own comfort over the comfort God gives. Luke 8, 14 says this. The seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And so they never grow into maturity. As a pastor, can I open up for you guys for a minute? One of the things that I asked myself, and maybe I'm getting too deep here with some of you who don't want to hear this. One of the questions that I asked myself is, why am I still spoon-feeding people? Why am I still seeing people struggle to move ahead to the next level? And I think that answers it right there. Because they have chosen the riches and pleasures of this life, and it's crowded out everything else. It was a real epiphany for me when I began to read that. Because we can know, listen to this, we know we're seeking our own pleasure when there's no place or room for Jesus in our lives. We also can know we're seeking out our own pleasure when it chokes out the things that God is doing in us and bringing out of us. When you are wondering why you're not seeing God bring you out of something, ask yourself, what do you value more? How you feel or what he wants to do in you? And we seek out and prefer the approval of man over the approval of God. This is one that struck me. Maybe this will help. Maybe help you guys see something. When we seek out our friends or people who are like-minded like us for agreement over the correction of God. When we know that there is blatant sin in our lives, but yet we go seek out somebody outside of the kingdom to make us feel good because the word of God is contrary. Because I want what I want. When we ignore the counsel of the creator for those who are created... What kind of lunacy is that? You know, the big debate today is AI. Anybody heard of AI? There's this big debate, right? You know what where it really boils down to? Is that someone is seeking out the advice of the created over the creator. That's really the heart of the matter. When we look for affirmation of our sin over conviction of our sin. Let me tell you, that's when you know you're looking on the wrong side because you're looking to justify your behaviors over correcting your behaviors. When our activities take over the place of time spent with God. Well, that's, that's a hurtful one for a lot of us. When we can give more time to our hobbies or our activities over the time we spend in His presence. 
We can't get 15 minutes in our Bible, but we can get six hours of TV on a Saturday. Oh, I'm guilty at times. And we can't spend any kind of time with him. We find our value in things over the value of the Father. Wow. This is a quiet message today. I'm uncomfortable. See, the Spirit of God should be our comfort. His presence was meant to comfort us. Now, I want you to take a look at one of my favorite verses. Psalms 84.10. I love it. You guys hear me quote it all the time. It says, a single day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of God than to live the good life in the homes of the wicked. Come on. But yet, we're going to choose day in, day out. We choose the bar on Saturday night. We choose the porn on TV over being in the presence of the Savior. I told you I wasn't going to pull any punches today. Because his presence is where we should long to be at all times. Not just on Sunday morning, but Monday through Sunday. From 12 a.m. to 12 p.m. The 24-hour cycle, that's where we should long to be. Because this is better is one day than a thousand elsewhere. I, listen, he said, I'd rather be the gatekeeper, the lowliest person in the kingdom of God, than to live a good life in the homes of the wicked. Let me give you a little bit of truth here. When we sp- where we spend our time, our resources, our money, is where we give, choose to give our hearts. Take a moment. Where did you choose to spend your resources at? The truth of that struck me hard this week. Romans 14, 7 says this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but the living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because God's Spirit brings lasting joy and peace when we abide in Him. It's better than anything else that we can do. Jim, it's even better than riding those motorcycles. I thought about this one for... Those of you who don't know, I I sometimes struggle with my weight a little bit. And I I really began to, uh, the last couple years, thought about that. And uh, I like to eat my feelings. If I'm bored, I eat. If I'm happy, I eat. If I'm lonely, I eat, right? Here's the problem with looking for comfort in food. I'm always going to be hungry again. I'm all never satisfied. Because listen to this, God's spirit, though, when I choose him, and I choose to find my fullness in him, my comfort in him, Because his spirit is eternal and it never wastes or expires. I got to tell you all, I'm big on expiration dates. 
I am not one of you people who can, like, have anything beyond, you know, I see people, like, want to give us some pretty, you know, they want to have expired, but they're, oh, it's cool, man, expiration dates are just a suggestion. No, no, let me tell you, those are for real. They are for real. But God has no expiration date, and his spirit has no expiration date. Jesus called the Holy Spirit the comforter in John 16, 7. And that's not wasted upon me. Where I find my comfort, according to that, should be in his spirit. Because Jesus understood, guys, that there would be times of turmoil. That there would be times of loss. There would be times that we need comfort that can come from nowhere else but his spirit. And that is why he left the Holy Spirit for us. See, God's comfort gives us courage and strength and it allows us to carry on because he lives in us and never leaves. People are going to leave. Houses will fade away. Cars will fade away. But his spirit, his comfort never ends. Never ends. We have another choice. To love our own truth or God's truth. 2 Timothy 4.3 declared that people will reject the truth in place of their own truth. I find this kind of ironic and relevant in today's culture. I got to be honest. Please don't ever say this to me because I will come unhinged. My most hated phrase in this world is tell your truth. Let me tell you, your truth is biased. Your truth has no standing. It has nothing that stands behind it. It has nothing that backs it. Your truth is just a lie that Satan tells you to make you feel good about yourself. There's this great emphasis in the world today about finding truth, right? Go find it. Go find your truth. But here's the problem. You know why they have to go find the truth? Because they've lost the standard of the truth. If you have no standard, there is no truth. If we choose to seek out our own version of the truth, i got to be honest with you, it continues to change. It's constantly changing based upon the situation and where I stand at that moment. Well, it's okay if I run around on my wife because at that moment, you know what? She's just not meeting my needs. That's okay, right? That's garbage. So let me tell you what what Paul talked about. Here's what it says. It says, we fail to acknowledge God as the standard bearer of our truth. We become slaves to our own way of thinking. And that's out of Romans 1, 25 through 27. This is what he says. We're going to read a lot of this, but they traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their own shameful desires. 
Each of the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal relations with women, burned with lust for one another. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. See, when we lose the truth, when we remove God as the standard of truth, it allows us to slide into our own desires and helps us accept the sin that's in our lives. Because instead of conviction, we end up with comfort. When I'm the standard bearer of truth, let me tell you, I may not like what I see. Hmm. Romans 1, 28, 32 says this. It says, so they thought it foolish to acknowledge God. And guess what happens when we choose to not acknowledge him? He abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do the things that they should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness. This is what happens when you reject his truth in favor of your own. Their lives become full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new, they invent new ways of sinning. And they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand and break their promises, are heartless and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Because when you don't hold God as the standard of your truth, you will drag everyone else around you down. How many of you are parents today? How many of you have your children here today? Look at your child. If they're here, look at your child right now. Let me tell you, you, they are the consequences of your decisions and who you choose to follow today. You are not just dragging yourself. You are dragging them down when you take out the Father as the source of truth. But let me tell you this. Just because you removed God as the standard of truth in your life does not, does not remove the penalty of sin in your life. And I'm here to tell you right now that with that penalty is, is severe. And just because you removed God as the source of truth does not mean that you won't receive the justice of hell that you deserve. That's truthful. Because Jesus alone stands as the as the standard bearer of truth in our lives. He is the only constant, unchanging, unmovable, unfallible source of truth. John 14, 6 said this. Listen, this, is, this should be, boy, you should have this committed to memory. It says, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. Because Jesus right there alone, he, he makes it simple. For those of you who need a little bit of explanation, you're like me, you need just the cliff note version. He says, I am alone the standard of truth. There is no other way to judge anything throughout life except through my eyes, through my spirit. Not your government, not your mama, not your best friend. They might make you feel better. Ask Job how that went. Yeah, his friends weren't so great, were they? 
He's clear in that statement that all things will be judged through him and him alone. Your excuses, your thoughts, your ideas matter not when it comes to judgment day. Because he is the way and he makes that clear that truth cannot be judged or assessed in any other fashion or entity. All actions are judged through him. All thinking is judged through him. And all sin is judged through the words that he speaks. That's cut and dry, isn't it? Finally, we have a choice. Our last choice. To love ourselves or love the one who loves us. Demas loved the world and it caused him to abandon those that were around him. That love caused him to leave Paul sitting waiting for execution all by himself. Love of the world causes our selfish nature and sinful nature to be exposed to the ones that we really love. You think you're hiding? You're not. We see. Look around at your neighbors and tell them, I see. Well, nobody wants to do that, do they? I didn't see one head turn. You aren't hiding jack squat. You might hide it from me. You might. But you're not hiding it from the one who can see all. Love of the world will always drive you away from God and those in the family of God. Wow. Look at the example of Judas. He left the disciples and Jesus at the Passover because he loved a few ounces of silver. Because he loved himself over the one who loved him. When we love the world, we can't have the love of the Father in us. I'm just telling you. 1 John 2.15-17 through 17 says, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. See, I didn't say it. It's straight up in the Word of God. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievement and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. And let me, let me give you a little piece of advice here. The world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what the what pleases God will live forever. When we, lay, when we love this world, there is no room left for the Father and His will. You cannot compartmentalize God and live that full life. If you say, well, I can do that, I will tell you, you cannot. God wants it all, or he wants nothing. This is not a ride-the-fence type situation. How many of y'all would like to be married to your wife? Just bear with me a minute here. And yet your wife says, well, on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I'm going to go hang out with Jimmy. Because I only have room for you on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. Does that work for you? Husbands? Wives? 
Are you willing to share your spouse with anyone else? The Bible describes the church as the bride of Christ. Huh. I got a feeling he's probably not real keen on sharing, is he? But let me tell you about the love of the Father. I'm going to take you back to that oh-so-important verse. God so loved the world. Let me read it to you again. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God's love gives and never takes. God's love compelled him to give his son for us. When we are compelled, what we think by love is to take, I would tell you that that's not pure love. The love of the Father drives us to him and not away from him. It's a drawing and not a pushing. John 15, 13 says, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You know what Jesus called us? His friends. And, and, and everybody wants to go to the extreme, right? I'm going to jump in front of a bullet for you and all of that. And, but sometimes laying down our lives is making different plans. It's about picking up the phone when we need, somebody needs us. It's about laying aside my own plans to do the will of the Father. That's what his love drives us to because God's love is never self-seeking. 1 Corinthians 13.3 says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Well, that's the kind of love I want to have in my life. I want to have a love that never gives up. And that's who I want to be loved by. Is someone whose love never gives up. Well, wrapping it up, there's really one last question in all of this. And it's, love is a choice. Who will you choose? Who will you choose? Because no, it's going to alter your life. Jesus actually told the disciples to count the cost. One of my best friends, grandfather, before everything he said, would look at them and say, count the cost. Count the cost. Because it's a choice. Joshua, in Joshua 24, 15, you all know this. And I've even read it to you before. 
but he makes it really clear. He says, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols of your ancestors worshiped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. Now he's, he's pulling out the choices here for you. And he says, but, and I'm telling you, this is your time, make a choice. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or it will be the gods of the Amorites in the land that you live now? But he says, but as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. There's one choice or the other. I titled this message, Choose This Day. Because a lot of us think we'll choose tomorrow. We'll choose a week from now. We'll choose, maybe. But I'm telling you, choose today because God's not going to walk a line on a fence for you. He's very, very clear about the choices that we make. About the love that we give. But let me tell you this. Love requires a choice daily. An examination of that choice we have to do every day to stay on track. David said, oh God, search my heart out and point out to me anything that offends you. Daily, this is a choice. Some of us want to make the choice once and go live like we're going to hell tomorrow. Because I made a choice. Well, yeah, you did make a choice. It's the wrong choice. It's a daily choice. It's a, it's a decision by decision choice, all filtered through the truth of Jesus Christ. Every action, everything that we do demonstrates our love for either one of two things, the world or for Christ. It's one of the two. There's no in between. Let me tell you, the enemy is sneaky. He's constantly looking for ways for you to take your eyes off of your love of the Father. Because let me tell you, the two other scriptures about Demas described him as a fellow worker and lover of God. Yet he allowed the world to steal his love because he was not looking at this and praying the prayer of David, search me God, show me, point out anything that offends you. And it's a hard message to hear. But some of you need today to make a choice. You can't keep living on one side. You can't keep living in sin Monday through Saturday. And then on Sunday morning, decide I'm going to get up here and get clean for a little bit. It doesn't work that way. You're wasting your time. I'm being really harsh today and I'm sorry. No, I'm not really sorry not because I care enough about you to tell you today choose this day stop horsing around with God he's not interested he's not he says that there will be people who claim that they knew him at the end of judgment day and he'll look at them and say I knew you not choices will define you.
where you choose to love will define you. I'm not saying you're not going to struggle through trials. I'm not going to say that things aren't going to come against you. But when you make that choice of him, when you choose him and his love, I'll tell you, it gets a whole lot easier. So I'm going to ask every person here today, close your eyes. And I want you to ask God to search your heart today. Because there's really just two questions in all of this. Just two. If today you said, I want to choose Jesus for the first time, or maybe I want to re I want to choose him again because I let my life go in a direction that didn't demonstrate his love. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Say, I need, to, I, need, I need, Lord, to commit my, my life to choosing you. And then there's a second question here. If today, while you're examining your life, if you're asking God to point out those things, and you're saying that I love the world, God, you're showing me areas where I love the world more than I love you, and that's you, and you just want someone to agree with you, I want you to raise your hand today. If you're saying, I'm done choosing selfishness. I'm done choosing ways that aren't of you today, but I choose you. I want to choose you today. If that's you, raise your hand. Yeah, I see these hands. I see them. I'm going to give it another minute because I think God's speaking to hearts today. And you might hear this quiet voice saying choose choose today don't wait don't wait I'm going to ask one more time and there have been hands raised but I just felt like we were supposed to ask one more time you say today, God, I want to choose you over the things of this world. I want to put you at the forefront. You are my choice. Just raise your hand. I'm done horsing around. I'm done riding the fence. I'm done like living like hell on Monday through Saturday, and I'm going to live like I'm a citizen of heaven every day. I believe choice requires action. I think I told you that, didn't I? Choice requires action. If that's you today, I want you to come forward. If you raised your hand today, I know I'm not trying to embarrass you. I'm not trying to, to make you feel bad. But if you raised your hand today, I want you to come forward. I want you to come forward. Come on, don't, don't hesitate. Don't hesitate. We talked about accident. It says people heard God's word and they ran. They ran towards his presence this morning. Come on, come on, don't, don't wait. Don't wait. Come on, he chose you today. He chose you today. If you want to choose him today, come on. Come on, run, come on, run, come. Now I've got some, 
some elders, some prayer team members. I'm going to ask them to come forward. And we're going to pray over you. And we're going to agree with you this morning. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna stand in the gap with you today. I'm going to just tell you to raise your hands and just start praying right now. Just start pouring your heart out to the Father this morning. Just start pouring out your heart this morning.